Hello, good afternoon. Welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm your host, Mary Fran Johnson, CEO of Mary Fran Johnson Media and a contributing columnist on CIO.com, where I write about boardroom and strategy issues for technology leaders. Twice a month, we produce CIO Leadership Live with the generous support of my friends at CIO.com and the CIO Executive Council. We're streaming live to you right now on LinkedIn and on YouTube. And we welcome all of our viewers today to join in my conversation with questions of your own. We have one of our editors, Michelle Davidson, who is watching the feed and will be passing along any of the questions that you would like to ask of my guest today. We're very pleased to today to be joined by J.P. Saney, who is the Chief Digital and Technology Officer at Sunbelt Rentals. JP is an industry veteran and a longtime friend of CIOs with 20 plus years of experience and a reputation for business technology transformation. He joined Sunbelt Rentals in June of 2020 to lead this fast growing company's innovative efforts in IT. And that is in an industry that is rapidly moving to omni-channel e-commerce to transform the customer experience. Before his current role, JP served as the Chief Information Officer at SOS Security and TRC Companies in the Boston area. With its U.S. headquarters in South Carolina, Sunbelt is one of the largest rental equipment companies in North America. It's got approximately six plus billion in revenue and more than 15,000 employees across more than 900 locations. It has a diversified product mix that includes general construction equipment, industrial tools, pumps, power generation systems, and more. JP, welcome today. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Mary friend. Appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity to be here with you. All right. Well, let's start out with that big picture view of the challenges that are facing your new industry. Well, not so new now. You've been there well, uh, well over a year now. But in light of the past, well, let me see, 18 plus months of the disruption from the pandemic, how is that impacting both your plans and the rollout of your omni-channel e-commerce growth across the sector that is your industry? Yeah, no, thanks. That's a that's a great question. Um, you know, the 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 industry we are in typically is primarily B two B, and most of the interactions would happen at a counter uh, or through a website or over the phone. Um, I think the industry was always desiring to move in the direction of a more omni-channel e-commerce experience. There's, there's a huge mm -hmm. opportunity there to lower the barrier for interaction with our, with our customers, um, provide them with, with a more elevated, enriched experience, not just our customers, but also our employees to have same degree of you know, intelligence, uh, better tools to serve our customers, with the pandemic situation, I think as we were already uh, itching to get started, this just added fuel to the fire where now it is more of a necessity to leap ahead. Yes. So I think we just accelerated our efforts and we're taking uh, already a very successful business to the new heights. Mm -hmm. Why do we do that? I think you know everything from an app um, that is at least live for Sunbelt Rentals, 
which caters to both your B2B personas, business to business personas, uh, and your direct to consumer, what we call do-it-yourselfers, yep. you know, time-starved homeowner personas. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a unified catering there um, to a, a very uh, robust uh, e.com that gives you everything you see in the app and some. Okay. Um, plus, we are enriching and enhancing the experience of people who you know, want to do business with us, you know, walking into a branch uh, or you know, pick up stuff and transact uh, or tra- do the whole transaction at the curbside. Mm-hmm. All that combined is really the way to go uh, to bring it together in that omni-channel experience. And, and yeah. the bottom line there is no matter what channel you engage us um, with on, your experience is going to be a pretty you know, harmonized and similar experience. And that's the key. You know, that's the consistency of the experience and lowering the barrier of interaction is going to change the game for this industry. Yeah. Well, I always I always feel a great deal of sympathy for CIOs who are in industries or at companies that weren't really paying much attention to the idea of transforming the customer experience and of going more digital. Because by the time we got to the pandemic in early 2020, if you didn't already have a digital transformation project of some sort or even a bigger program underway, that was quite a scramble. Um, tell, t- t- take us back to when you joined in June of 2020. What was your mission when they brought you into Sunbelt Rentals? And were things well underway? Or what did you encounter when you got there? Yeah, that's another very good question. So I joined, uh, as you know, about 16 plus months ago. And um, we went through two very uh, aggressive growth eras of a decade. And from under a billion dollar brand to closing the books of six plus billion in April of this Mm -hmm. year. So that's about two five-year plans, you know, uh, the strategic run that got us to where we are. Now, we are highly successful. Our numbers are public, so I would not Mm -hmm. quote any numbers here. Uh, It's it's all publicly available. But given the level of, uh, you know, financial health for the firm, Mm-hmm. Some of the humble questions we had to ask ourselves is, you know, what got us here can us get us to the next level? Yeah. Um, can we do entrepreneurism at scale? Um, mm-hmm. Can we empower people in ways that we haven't done before? Again, building it all on the existing success. So, you know, let's not forget it's a successful company, but what got us here may not get us to the next level. So I think it started with the humble you know, question as we got ready for the for the uh, next era of our strategic growth, mm-hmm. and uh, that was uh, I think where where the my hiring you know came to being. Uh, I'm very you know glad and uh, I appreciate the opportunity that that I've been given to you know allow me to take this company uh, and in course uh, also help the industry and in, in how we do business and how we cater to our employees. So. So we, we had all the ambitions. We just didn't have everything well articulated on how we're gonna do this end-to-end uh, digital business transformation driven by technology, not just enabled by technology. Yes. That means all the intellectual property we have in the play, how do we take that and supercharge it into you know, platforms that 
can allow us to do that entrepreneurism at scale. Essentially, if, if, you, if, if, if you equate that, what does it mean? Um, we operate in different countries. Can we operate in unified similar platforms or same platforms that allows us to synergize the, the cost that allows us to synergize the, the uh, processes behind the scenes. And it allows us to really hold our commitment true to say that omni-channel experience, no matter where you are, yeah. what channel you engage on, we are able to provide you the consistent experience. Mm-hmm. And as you've seen a mantra of availability, reliability, and ease, you know, that's really what Sunbelt stands for. Um, we are, you know, making it easier to do business. Mm-hmm. Um, we're making sure that um, availability, when you search for our, you know, equipment, whether you're renting uh, uh, in, in Charlotte or we are renting in, you know, the other end of the country on, on the West Coast, you're able to see everything that's available closest to you. Mm-hmm. And then once you make a reservation with us, the reliability of that reservation to say, yes, we will make it happen and we will deliver on the promise, whether we're delivering it for you, whether you show up to pick it up. Yep. Well, and I mentioned uh, in your intro that you've got um, 15 thousand plus people across North America, but there's also expansion going on in the EU. That is correct. So, you know, it's, it's a pretty thriving brand. Um, we have businesses in North America, which is primarily US and, and Canada, mm-hmm. uh, plus a very uh, uh, healthy footprint in UK, but we also are looking to uh, see how we can expand the footprint, you know, in EU. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as we all know, the land is only so much in, in European Union. So mm-hmm. the footprint has to be more uh, strategic than just a lot of footprint out there. Yes. Um, so I think that's sort of, you know, what we're focused on and we'll be surgical about uh, how we expand that footprint. Or in other words, how do we deliver the same promise to our existing footprint? Either or, it's, it's a big win for us okay. and for our customers. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about uh, a bit more about Sunbelt's um, kind of position in the industry. You're one of the basically the three big companies in this rental equipment space. There's United Rentals, which is about nine billion in revenue. And then the number three is Herc Rentals, which is a little bit smaller. Uh, What about everybody else? We tend to, of course, as consumers, you tend to think about the Lowe's and the Home Depot's of the world with rental equipment, but this is on a whole different scale. So talk a little bit about just that competitive size of your market. Uh, Because I imagine if you've been growing greatly over the last decade, probably your rivals have too. Yes, absolutely. Competition is always healthy, right? So (laughs) uh, in fact, uh, yeah, the top three players, you know, they they make up for the majority of the industry share. Uh, And I think we, we, we encourage our competitors to think the same way as we are thinking to say, how can we serve our customers better? At the end of the day, the lowest common denominator is the customer. Um, So yeah, if, if, if you really think about the, the players beyond the top three players, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of localization, uh, which is good for the consumer because they like to see the local flavor. They like to have the local touch, the nurture and care. At the same time, the challenge for the smaller players is capital. Um, this is a pretty capital intensive uh, business. Uh, you have to invest a lot of capital to buy this equipment, 
that you eventually put in the market for rental. Right, right. And then you the other beauty is... Yeah. Yeah. You have an yeah, enormous absolutely. fleet out there, right? I mean, thousands and thousands of vehicles. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we, we have to be conscious of, you know, uh, of that as well. But it's a capital intensive business. So I think there is a uh, good opportunity for a lot of M&A activity that happens in a healthy basis. Oh, uh, yes. Um, but there is a equally uh, attractive play for organic growth. Um, there is still a lot of runway for growth in terms of organic growth. Okay. And sometimes those M&As, you know, the, the acquisitions that come to table are more tuck-ins, as we call it. Um, hmm. You know, we're acquiring the footprint uh, in a given geographical location, or we're acquiring uh, the clientele. I think that's one way to do uh, the, the expansion. The other part is just the hmm. plain good old, hey, let's, you know, get a fair market share and, you know, uh, we, we yep. will have to put new stores and the third is, of course, the top line growth, which is mostly acquisitive. But in all of this, the capital intensive business uh, is, is the key. So the, the small to mid-sized players, I think that's where the most of the innovation um, or the investment in the innovation and how we conduct and serve uh, to our employee uh, and, and our uh, customers hasn't happened. So the bigger players are certainly leading the way. Yeah. And... Uh, um, to that extent, let me wrap up that question with this. Uh, Home Depot already has a good, healthy uh, direct-to-consumer and light contractors rental business. They've been in the business for a while. Um, their numbers are public as well, so I wouldn't get into that. Um, but it's a pretty decent uh, you know, dollar amount. Uh, Lowe's has entered into the market. Uh, they've been piloting quite a few stores. Um, all this tells us that you know there is a big opportunity to serve the homeowner community or do-it-yourselfers, yes. light contractors combined. I think that's a segment that we as an industry has not served very well, but there's a renewed focus on that and it's okay. It's better late than never. Well, and it, probably so many more people have been at home over the last year and a half. I think that's had a ripple across all kinds of different business economies. Um, and I, when we think about e-commerce and omni-channel across the industry today, you had mentioned the uh, importance of keeping an entrepreneurial spirit, but being able to do that at scale. So I'd like you to dive into that a little bit more and explain what you mean. Give us an example of what that looks like. No, sure. It's a fair question. Um, I'll, I'll answer it. Um, <laughs> well, good. So, <laughs> uh, I think entrepreneurialism is is very important in, in this industry because you know, like we just talked about, you got different ways of how we either grow the top line, how we optimize the bottom line. Um, we most of the players in this industry have uh, dwelt capabilities in a custom way. It means the traditional players from the marketplace for our supply chain, uh, for e-commerce capabilities, for pricing, mm -hmm. have not served uh, the rental industry well. And that's not criticism. It's just you know the nature of the evolution of things. Exactly. Uh, so most of the companies in, in this space have uh, homegrown systems. <clears throat> and when you grow at a pace that we are, Yes, that intellectual property is, is very important to us. We did, you know, uh, 
revolutionized the play in you know, the industry and and did the transformation uh, through the last decade. But then the question is, what got us here? Will it get us to the next level? Are these systems, those are very purpose built, are these scalable to the point that you know we could scale them in time? Is there enough complexity that uh, it is viable to keep nurturing them over a period of time? Mm-hmm. Can we have that interconnected play that we need to bring to the table to really serve on that omni-channel experience to say consistency of the experience? Yes. That means the systems behind the scenes have to really hum along and you know talk and converge in a way that 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 promises a deliverable. So so I think the the idea there is, you know. Uh, at least for us, uh, at a group level, we, we, we rather than word global, we use word group, which is mm-hmm. more near and dear to our heart. Can we operate on unified platforms? Okay. Can we be all on the same ERP platform? Um, can we be all on the same CRM platform for that matter? Can we use the same operational systems uh, across the board? Now, there's always a 70 30, 80, 20 rule, there is going to be the last mile of the locale. Um, so if we're in the UK, we got to you know, look at you know, some subtleties of how we conduct business, some regulatory and compliance things we need to worry about. But even if we can graduate to the 70, 80% commonality in how we operate and the platforms we use, that's truly then allowing the entrepreneurism to exist. But then now you have the ability to do it at scale. In other words, this predictability in how you do business, this predictability in how you're going to grow and how you're going to maintain your your promise to deliver uh, every day. Okay. Well, I know one of the things I want to talk about some of those different domains that you are operating on right now as the chief technology and digital officer. We had talked earlier about dynamic pricing. Uh, In your industry, is is dynamic pricing and the changes that are coming to it, how relevant is that? Um, Tell us more about how that that will work. Sure. I think dynamic pricing is is not a new concept by any means, but Mm -hmm. uh, it's been leveraged in many ways, even in this industry of, of equipment rental. But in our view, we're looking at, you know, we do pricing, you know, well, uh, we leverage, you know, market conditions, competitor data, all players, you know, pretty much subscribe to the same consortium. Um, and then, of course, you have your own historical knowledge um, of 20 plus years of, you know, Sunbelt's way of workings. Uh, you combine all that together, and I think we are able to produce, you know, very specific, uh, you, know, f- you know, narrowed fairway of where our, our sellers have to land uh, in terms of the pricing, Um uh, but then there's still you know, a lot of opportunity out there to look at, are we leveraging data from satellites you know, in terms of construction? So we can see where the hotspots of construction are. Maybe look at you know, combining the weather data, um, which we do to a certain extent, all of us do to a certain extent, but that mm-hmm. you know, is, there's still a lot of opportunity when hurricanes come through and can you move inventory you know, to locations where you need it the most? Uh, can you predict that? Um, and also predicting demand in, in, in a given uh, in a geographical uh, sector, if you would. Um, cities are the planning and permitting from cities. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of cities are talking about sharing some of the information in, a, in whether that is directly through a subscription model or through a consortium. So we're looking forward to that shift. If that shift becomes viable, then why not 
combine the, the planning and permitting data. So you have a more targeted way of, of uh, looking at pricing. So in a nutshell, it's not about, you know, um, overcharging our, our uh, customers, but I think as a business, there has to be a healthy level of profitability and smart choices is the answer there to say, can we make those smart choices in that given window of opportunity where if the demand is high and the supply is tight, no different than the hotel industry, well, the prices goes up, prices come down, you know, when the demand is not there. So I think the whole concept, you know, if you bring it together, that's really, you know, what it means, you know, uh, in terms of dynamic pricing for our industry. Okay. Well, and I know too, when we were talking about sort of the before and after of Sunbelt's business, you said that a lot of Sunbelt's business was done as much at the counter in your stores as at the curb. How has that changed over the last year and a half? And how did everything readjust to that? Obviously, you're still growing and doing really well. Right, right. No, I think traditionally, you know, there's a lot of uh, B2B customer that uh, likes to come in and interact in a store uh, and uh, in a branch, as we call it. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's good. That's not going away. Uh, but given the times of, of you know, uh, a tough uh, environment around us uh, in a situation like pandemic that has you know, never been seen before, some rules of engagement are, are shifting the trends to more curb. Uh, than it was done before, mm -hmm. or touch less, in other words. Um, in fact, that's a good news, whether it's pandemic-driven or otherwise, think of it. If, if someone is doing business with us and they have a booking on our website or they, they make a reservation on an app, and you know, they're now either expecting us to deliver or they're going to come pick it up. Mm -hmm. um, Given the nature of the leapfrogging ahead in terms of the curve or touchless opportunities, it's actually allowing us to do better planning and you know, be better prepared when the customer arrives or better deliver when we have to deliver. So I think mm -hmm. the shift is going to continue to um, you know, change the equation a little bit between the, the curve and the counter on where the contract is written. Mm -hmm. um, but I think more touchless is certainly... Uh, you know, desirable by a lot of folks because they've come to realize that it works. Um, versus in the past, it was, hey, can we do it? Should we do it? Are there benefits to it? I think everything has hashed itself out. And the opportunity going forward is you're going to see more shift for curve or touchless, you know, mm -hmm. and a yeah. uh, healthy self-cannibalization of what happens at the counter. Mm -hmm. And that's not bad. You know, we're putting the same empowerment in the hands of our people. Yes. So irrespective of whether they're behind a counter or whether they're at the curb, you know, they'll be able to serve the customer as effective. Yeah. Well, I know I've talked with other CIOs who have watched other industries adapt very quickly uh, in the early months of the pandemic. Um, I talked with one, uh, I think he was an airport CIO, saying how much he learned just from watching what, what retail and restaurants were doing in the way they could change their model of how they delivered to customers. So I do think that a lot of those benefits and new models will be one of the enduring um, the enduring benefits if if we're going to look for a silver lining with you know the the last year and a half and what's going on um one of the uh things that you've mentioned of course a lot of this requires a certain amount of 
either changing or revamping backend operational systems. What can you tell? Uh, what can you tell us about the kind of the big projects you have underway for that now with Sunbelt? Listen, you know, um, part of that is a bit bit competitive, but um, I think what I can share with you is that. Um, the operational systems are crucial to this game. Um, mm. If you think of inventory, if you think of transportation, warehousing, um, your commercial routing, all those things are integral to this industry. So either you have a good platform um, mm. or you're going to have to quickly evolve to a platform that allows you to really bring your inventory together in a pretty dynamic fashion. Um, you have to lower the barrier for interaction with your clients. That means mm -hmm. the whole e-commerce play is going to be important. Um, and also direct tie to ESG. I mean, you know, that's that's something that's very important to us. Uh, the, the whole environmental aspect of this, the less miles we drive, the less fuel we are burning, the less carbon footprint we are putting out there. Mm -hmm. um, there's a certainly a clear shift from ownership to rental. You know, mm -hmm. I would dare myself to call it uberification of tools. Yeah, uh, I'm and impressed you can say, that's a hard word to say. Uh, uberification. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's really the phenomena is you know ownership to rental, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, that's uh, pretty evident in the in the statistics out there quantitatively or qualitatively uh, through yeah. our studies and, and the market uh, outlook. So I think, you know, all that together, uh, there's a social impact to it because there is a behavior, uh, there is a change going on from ownership to rental. Uh, that's a big social impact. And what that also drives is if less people are going to own, say if 10 contractors exist and all 10 of them own um, a particular piece of equipment versus they only use it, you know, they only need it for a certain period of time mm -hmm. during a certain, you know, uh, week. If they could rent it and if the pricing, again, this is where the pricing piece comes in, is, mm -hmm. you know, predictable, it is palatable and reasonable, then I think that just changes behavior. So there's a big social aspect to this um, yeah. as well. And, you know, of course, governance, you know, that's that's a given. You have to do the right things from a governance point of view. But all of this, what we're, what we're, what we're looking at as an industry has a direct tie to, you know, our responsibility to an ESG footprint. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and I know that when we talked earlier and we were talking about those big, those big domains that you're making changes and the company is growing in, that ESG was a very important part of the growth strategy going forward. We have a question from our alert listening and watching audience for you, and it, it's a good one. With digital adoption and transformation changing the landscape of creating presence and providing multiple distribution channels for product and for optimizing multiple customer experience. With all that in the background, where does JP see these making an impact in the business interconnections and the value chain? And what exciting digital changes do you have on the roadmap? I don't think I could have come up with a better question myself. <laughs> so take that one away. <laughs> yeah, so I think, uh, let me start with say, stay tuned for more uh, on specifics. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think certainly that's that's a reasonable response there. But uh, um, I think in, in terms of the the 
digital transformation impact to the business pieces, uh, it's, it's pretty evident. I think we talked about the ESG aspects. We talked about behavioral changes. We talked about you know changing experiences that we provide to our customers and empower our employees to actually provide those experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, I think you know the 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 overarching piece of um, how do we put more time in the hands of our people? If our people say are are sellers out there, yeah. um, the way they sell today and the way you know they would be selling going forward, um, I think the digital transformation is key. The more more clients that can engage with us on our digital channels, uh, the less calls our people have to make. Mm-hmm. Um, it frees up time for more strategic selling. Uh, go after bigger deals. Mm-hmm. Go after more complex deals. So you're taking, you know, all that, uh, you know, minutia, if you would, uh, and and creating some time for our people that they can focus on bigger, better, more strategic uh, things. And I'm just giving you an example from a specific persona. And then of course, uh, I think, you know, we can talk more as the time is appropriate to share some details as we go along this journey over the next, uh, you know, couple of years. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's a great question. Uh, I wish I could give you a little bit more detail, but uh, hopefully I'm I'm giving you a good insight. Uh, Maybe let's, let's, Let's treat this answer as an appetizer and we'll, we'll serve the meal at a later date. Yes, well, that's fine. Well, I know you've been there, you know, um, a little over a year and that the a digital transformation takes place over several years. So the, but the initial, uh, the initial beginnings <coughs> of any transformation this big always involve, of course, the technology organization. And um, how, talk about how your technology team is organized or reorganized now to deliver this sort of value going forward. I know you mentioned when you arrived, it was a, a more of a typical back-end IT shop, extremely competent at a very successful firm. But as you came in as the CIO, what sort of changes did you make? In fact, I called it the IT organization, but you don't call it that anymore. No, we, we don't. Uh, so we we really referring to that as uh, digital and technology. So the two portfolios, yeah. you know, those are coming together to deliver on the promise. So uh, sourcing the talent, you know, was one of the challenges. Um, but then really bringing together a cast of characters that have been there, done that, I think that's key. Um, can assimilate um, with the existing successful environment have a level of humility to, you know, um, provide value rather than just provide um, influence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we, we have a capability-based model where each capability is well-defined. So if you think of uh, design thinking practices, you know, we have uh, invested in, in helping folks on, um, on, on design thinking practices. We have, mm-hmm. um, switch to a more agile way of uh, producing these goods and uh, services. Mm-hmm. So almost uh, the theme is a digital factory where products will come off you know, the, the factory at a very specific, uh, well-defined timeframe. And then 
how do you put them to work, which is really what we call operationalization of, of those products and mm-hmm. services. So the team today is, is designed to specifically focus on um, either digital capabilities mm-hmm. or capabilities within the technology side, you know, more from uh, serving the, the, uh, the, the uh, particular uh, need at hand, which is well articulated and well defined, and also the smart sourcing that comes to play, which is uh, very important at this journey. You can only hire so many people. Mm-hmm. So a healthy balance between insourcing with uh, the right talent, right leadership, uh, plus smart sourcing to handle the highs and lows of the demand uh, and the business is equally uh, important. Well, I know that we've, in some of your past CIO roles, I know we've talked about this capability-based model. It's something you've been uh, you've been an adherent of for, for quite a while now. You'd mentioned that you created some more specific kind of P&L groups, uh, like an enterprise architecture group or a data science group. What can you tell us about that? Without giving away any secret saucing here, um, what sort of new areas did you create over the last year and a half or more? Yeah, no, that's a good example. Uh, think of uh, any mission you need to start with. You know, Before you start building the house, you need to make sure you have a good blueprint. So uh, enterprise mm-hmm. architecture is, I think, key. Uh, I would highly encourage everybody to think about that. I think whether you are in my shoes or whether you are doing what you do every day out there, mm-hmm. I think investing in in a practice that caters to enterprise um, architecture and uh, engineering framework is very important before we embark on any mission. So certainly that that's an investment we have made. We have strengthened what we had. Um, a digital design and experience group. Uh, I think that's key. Uh, as we talk about omni-channel, as we talk about all these experiences, we are going to cater to different personas. Um, that digital research, you know, the personification, uh, the life in the day off, and the partnership between the digital teams, the tech teams, and our operational teams to really bring it all together, all the way from a perceived use case back to how it comes to life and enterprise architecture hand in hand before their hands on keys to start building those products. Um, and then of course, you know, data, uh, just, just imagine a world, world uh, uh, in a business without uh, advanced data capabilities. Uh, I'm not necessarily just saying monetization of data. I'm talking about the day-to-day operational elements of the data. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we effectively empower our employees, you know, our managers, you know, our leaders out there with, you know, the right set of data uh, and the only five or six or 10 things that matter to them on any given day um, at the beginning of the day or the during the day, rather than them having to mine lots of data to get some meaningful insights that then they can act upon. So mm-hmm. I think the data group w- was very uh, you know, solid. Uh, we have uh, certainly uh, made investments into AI and machine learning aspects of it. Uh, we, we have a data science group that's... Uh, uh, certainly looking at anything, you know, that's data lineage, you know, um, whether that's uh, movement of data within our platforms, do we really physically have to move data around? Again, I think all those things coming together, uh, data becomes more of a necessary, uh, you know, thing to deal with versus yeah. just cater reports and insights. 
Excellent. Now we have another question from our listeners about your hybrid or return to work strategies. Um, I know that can be a significant factor when you are hiring new talent. I know that you hired a lot of talent within the last year or so um, with your smart sourcing approaches and so forth. What is the what is your take on that today? On the return to office on hybrid work, has it enabled you, for instance, to bring people not into the team who don't necessarily move to South Carolina? Yeah, we would have fairly good success at the uh, senior leadership level on attracting mm -hmm. the talent. Um, we have hired uh, quite a few people along the way in the last 16 months, but you're right. Um, does every role have to be within the four walls or the confines of an office? I think one thing that's certainly clear uh, today is that um, a lot of roles we thought that were not a good fit for remote working have fared well. Some roles we thought were going to be, you know, a better fit. We had to reverse our decisions on that. Okay. But um, we as a core team, we've been showing up at work, uh, you know, uh, pretty much consistently. Mm -hmm. um, and that was just a design we had of the hybrid aspect to say, um, let's, you know, be safe uh, at the same time. Um, let's try and be responsible to each other uh, on how we operated. Um, you know, you mask up when you walk into a meeting. So again, you have to mm -hmm. adapt to ways of, of how you survive during the day, yeah. still be respectful of each other's uh, viewpoints uh, at the same time, you know, be responsible in our interactions. But core team has, uh, has been here. Uh -huh. uh, we've been going through a rotational strategy to say, um, how many people do need to come to work on, you know, five days a basis, uh, a week basis. Uh, maybe we need to bring some people three days, some people two days. So I think uh, we are actually leveraging all facets you can think of, whether people coming in full-time, people coming on a rotational basis, the hoteling concept. Um, at the core of all this is that the technology has allowed us to make sure that people could effectively work and collaborate and engage. Yes. Um, and the lessons learned, I think we're just going to apply to the next, you know, couple of quarters as we go through this journey mm -hmm. uh, to see how things uh, shape up around us. Yes. Well, and it, it, it makes it makes a lot of sense that everybody has to just stay flexible and keep their options open when it comes to talking about hybrid work. Uh, I had a very interesting conversation a few months ago with the CIO of the Washington Post, and he was talking about some of the technologies that he's looking at to make sure that the meetings, when there are some people remote and some people in the room, that it's all democratized, that you know you have uh, essentially you tweak the company culture enough so that everybody's very aware of that. Um, have you found yourself needing to do that sort of thing or how do you approach that? Yeah, well, we certainly uh, open to all the adaptation that's uh, that's in the play. We're talk constantly talking to quite a few industry uh, veterans and experts. Um, I think one thing is given that yeah, there's some permanent shifts on who shows up at work every day. Mm -hmm. um, in my view, uh, I think what we're focused on is the hybrid strategy is, is the way to go. Um, we're not looking to say, you know, we want to put purely in, in remote locations, but um, some of the shifts are permanent. I think we know those profiles well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, some things that haven't worked well, we are talking to our people. We're providing constant feedback. And in fact, uh, as people are getting more and more comfortable with uh, the vaccinations and other things and the, mm-hmm. some of the regulatory stuff coming around, I think we have to stay uh, with an open mind to respect the choices of our people, which we do every day. Uh, at the same time, I think, you know, it remains to be seen uh, how this whole thing shapes up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, we as a company, I think we are, we are being very flexible and um, we are a law-abiding firm. So we will certainly, you know, uh, um, comply with any laws that come to the table, but uh, mm-hmm. we certainly have our people first approach to make sure that our people are comfortable in, in, in given conditions that work in. Yes. Well, you know, in all the, the very, the changes we've been talking about and the growth strategies for Sunbelt going forward, I know that, that that move to a more strategic role in the business for IT, which is something you've been involved in a lot of times in your career, that usually, once the business side gets a hold of that new concept that we're really partners in all of this, it's not just the technology department serving our needs, that can uh, bring about a whole flood of requests and needs and everything. How do you handle uh, you know, what is your portfolio management uh, approach to that? How do you handle all the increased interest and um, desire for more projects that are probably flooding in over the last few months? Tell us how you do that. No, that's a good one. Uh, I think uh, one of the first investments we made early on was uh, really uh, a reformation, if you would, of our um, portfolio management uh, group and mm-hmm. not at a project level, not at a program level, but we're really at a portfolio level. So um, we did make uh, investments in terms of some, some technology, more importantly, people with the relevant experience. Mm-hmm. And then the mother of all challenges is the process. You know, how do you ingest demand? How do you rationalize the demand? Um, how do you harmonize, rack and stack the priorities uh, with the business side of the house? So I think the early on partnership was super crucial. And we went, we spent quite a bit of time understanding what matters, what business outcomes uh, are really uh, at the forefront of what we need to deliver over the next few years. Mm-hmm. And we divvied up things into two, two very succinct buckets, the run side of the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't call it lights on because it's a lot more than lights on. That'll be disrespect to the team here uh, that works mm-hmm. hard every day. So it's running the, the day-to-day business uh, every day. So that's the run side of the business. And then the transformation bucket. And there are teams who are focused specifically on either transformation or run, and there are folks who are going across. Um, the same is true for the business side of the house. So I think we were able to harmonize that contention uh, which generally exists in every given organization that's trying to leapfrog ahead to say, what matters today? Where do we stop changes to the existing platforms? Where do we give 100% focus on uh, the platforms going forward? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think one of, the, uh, one of the quotes you used about that when we were talking, which I, I really liked a lot, you said, we're able to drive on the road while we're paving it. And I've, I've heard... I've heard variations of that over the years from different CIOs, but it seems really appropriate for your industry, especially. Um, when you think about driving on this road while you're paving it, what sort of 
what sort of leadership skills does that take on your part to make sure that everybody's well informed and that everybody's kind of with the program and that they know if they're driving on the road or helping to pave the road how do you, <laughs> how do, you do that yeah no i think that's a that's a pretty uh, interesting way of looking at it uh, i think i've used that phrase quite a bit to say hey you know it's almost like we're paving the road ahead of us while we're driving right. on it right um, i think part of uh, that analogy if i can draw a parallel is also you know if you're the guide and and you're trying to get to the top of the mountain not everybody may know know all the trails you know to mm-hmm. get there yeah so uh, i think you need someone who has experience so in our case what we did was we focused on and what we are doing not just we did we are doing even currently is uh, identify people who have a lot of institutional knowledge over the prior years mm-hmm. um, and do a buddy system to person who has an institutional knowledge um, may not be very well documented, um, mm-hmm. but also bring them together with someone who knows, you know, what trails to take to get to the top. So I think that the journey becomes much easier. Uh, and in certain ways, that fear of the unknown to say, um, you know, what lies ahead. Mm-hmm. When we talk in hypothetical terms uh, or on the whiteboard of these presentations, I think it still is a bit of... Uh, the concept of the mind doesn't know what the eye doesn't see. And, and you know, I use all these analogies mm-hmm. for a reason. I live by them. Um, so if the mind doesn't know what the eye doesn't see, let's help paint the picture on what the journey may look like mm-hmm. uh, with some relevant examples, with some uh, proof of concepts, early wins, low-hanging fruits, some incubation, mm-hmm. but really engaging the people who are actually going to go through the journey and get them ready for the journey. So I think... That's the concept of some of the unknown we were talking about to say we're paving the road as we're driving on it because, you know, you have the 70, 80% all very well formulated, mm-hmm. but then you have to be open to some of those adaptations and some of the surprises that as you're driving along the road, you didn't know that that was a good view to the right, right? So let's yes. enjoy it. So that's sort of the whole package. So bringing some people together who have very intrinsic institutional knowledge, have mm-hmm. been there, have been very successful but then pair them up with folks who have done it at scale, who have done it a few times before and done it in different industries and settings, also bring in the cross-pollination of ideas. Uh, And then, of course, having the right uh, partner ecosystem to do the smart sourcing, to get through it in a timely fashion, because there's quite a bit of heavy lift, as you know, as you get started on any one of these transformation journeys. Yes. Well, and that um, I, I keep thinking that what we're talking about is essentially the sort of blueprint that you draw up when you're future proofing your business. I've heard you use that that phrase before when we've talked. Um, when we think about the strategic and the very strategic technology and business priorities that you're working with going forward as you future proof, what sort of things have shifted up or down on your list during these very disruptive last you know year plus 16 months that you've been there i know you can't get too specific uh about some of the uh, plans that you have going forward but talk about what shifted in terms of your priorities as you've been um, essentially launching this transformation during during a pretty difficult year and a half yeah, no, I think that's a fair question. So uh, I think priorities, uh, 
there's a long list of priorities, but I think if we look at the next the horizon and focus on the next say 24 to 36 months or 48 months to just make it more palatable and have bite-sized uh, you know chunks if you would so it can be done and delivered. Um, really the, the whole omni-channel experiences you can bring to the table, um, those are super important, not just for the uh, equipment rental business, but for any business. Mm-hmm. And in our business, what makes it a little intriguing, uh, Mary Fran, is every asset that goes out has to come back. Unlike retail, where you're shipping it one way and only re- you know returns come back, course, uh, or the yeah. defects come back, or the exchanges come back. In 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 this particular uh, scenario, everything has a life cycle. Everything that is mm. um, not rent ready. Um, in other words, mm-hmm. you know, we're not being able to put a tag of rent ready on it. We're not really monetizing that asset. Um, we may not be meeting the, the, the supply that's needed in the marketplace. So, mm-hmm. so I think our priorities are really focused on making sure that uh, we can maintain our promise of that availability, reliability, and ease. And mm-hmm. you know, that's really our mantra at Sunbelt. So anything that doesn't tie to any one of those um, three things and you know ties to our entrepreneurism at scale mm-hmm. has taken a bit of a backseat. Okay. Um, and everything else has just been you know put on the top of the stack, and the efforts are underway. So uh, focus is on absolutely uh, making it easier for our customers, uh, making it um, you know empowering our employees to provide that experience, and ensure that we have things, those are repeatable, scalable going forward. So we Mm -hmm. can focus more on um, really realizing the outcomes we are looking for than just continues to uh, nurture and put band-aids and uh, upgrade the existing system. So I think you take all that in the mixer, uh, really the the priorities go right to the top to say, let's enhance the experience of our customers, you know, Let's make sure that our employees are empowered and let's make sure that our, our commitment to ESG is, you know, front and center. Okay. And then, you know, we, we allocate our capital wisely. As you know, it's a very capital intensive business. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, anything that ties to those four is certainly on the top. And I think it's pretty, you know, relevant to the times and situations around us. Okay, fair enough. Are there any emerging tech trends that you particularly read more about these days or pay more attention to, especially when we've talked a lot about e-commerce and about omni-channel. What are the, you know, in terms of what you might have been reading about a year or two ago, what is really catching your eye these days? You know, I uh, I keep an eye out for, uh, you know, more disruptive trends uh, when it comes to information security. I think all that we just talked about is is good. Um, but all it takes is one hit in terms of uh, a breach uh, uh, that could be disruptive for you in terms of reputation, in terms of your you know, uh, um, business model. It may be very hard to recover from. It may set you back in any one of the journey. So I think I've been paying a lot of attention to uh, all the emerging trends on information security um, okay. and specifically on identity management. You know, all of this we talked about as we lower the barrier for interaction, 
uh, and enhance the experience. That means we're taking friction out of that experience, but it comes at a cost. It comes at a cost of lowering a bit of a barrier in terms of security. There's always a healthy balance between operability and security and you tweak one way or the other, uh, it may break the formula. So um, my focus has been off late, um, you know, all this is great, but let's make sure that, you know, we're making these experiences as secure as possible every day, uh, whether we are we're protecting somebody's, you know, PII, whether we are, you know, complying with uh, a local governing law, uh, so we don't have to retrofit these things at a later date. So yeah, yeah that's sort of been my focus off late and lots of reading on, on, on that front. Yeah. Well, in your last position before you joined Sunbelt Rentals was at a, you were the CIO at a security company. So I, I guess that's, I guess that's a natural transition right there. <laughs> we have a, we have a really excellent question and it, it kind of steals my thunder on the wrap up question I often use about what sort of digital transformation strategies are you suggesting to your fellow CIOs and digital leaders to take going into 2022? And that's very much like my final wrap-up question about <laughs> the ideas you find uh, valuable as a leader and what you would advise other CIOs and digital leaders in your position to think about and do going forward into next year. Yeah, no, I think that's that's fair. Um, <laughs> so I think a couple of thoughts. You know, I don't usually provide any um, guidance or uh, advice, but some suggestions. You know, there you go. Are more okay. in line with my style. So here are a couple of suggestions, you know, things to, you know, keep in mind that that's at least helped me and, and the leaders that work with me every day mm -hmm. is empower your people. You know, you're, you're only as, as, you know, smart and as empowered as your people are. Um, some of the best ideas come from my, my you know, leadership team. Um, you know, so I think I would say empower your people, allow them a little bit of leeway to think outside the box. Mm -hmm. um, increase the interaction with the business leadership, allow your direct reports and maybe a layer underneath to build those partnerships. You know, I call it the yin and the yang. You know, you need to have the yin and the yang approach to really identify what matters for you in your setting. Mm -hmm. What mattered for me at TRC was different. What matters for me at my last, you know, you know, uh, initiative was different. Mm -hmm. So, here we had to sunbeltize. Uh, I don't know if that's even a word, but I just made it up. We had to sunbeltize everything we had to do. That means it yeah. has to have a meaning to you, to your organization, to your, you know, to the community you serve. So I think that's one thing. Um, mm -hmm. Empowering the teams, you know, allowing them to really build that that mechanics with the yin and the yang on the, you know, peers. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, I think. Uh, let's not purely focus on just on tech. Um, I think the personification of who we serve is super important. And if you can identify the personas, mm -hmm. you really want to either enhance the experience on how we do business, uh, fix a few things, totally bring on new personas and new you know, offerings to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. um, that's probably where I would spend some of my time because again, run side, transformation side, you know, run side pays your bills mm -hmm. and funds the transformation side. So if we purely focus on all of the efforts on the transformation bucket, we're going to start bleeding on the run side. It still pays yeah. the bills, still does the funding uh, on the transformation. So a healthy mix there. Mm 
but mm-hmm. at least come up with five or six ideas that are firm in the unification from the business, digital, and tech combined that directly ties to your mission at hand, which is either better EBDA margin, better experience for your clients, you know, empowering your employees to serve the community better. Yes. Well, and I, I love, well, I don't know if we'll be able to use your new verb outside of the Sunbelt community, sunbeltizing it. Um, but that reminds me of how important and integral, integral CIOs and their organizations are, or chief digital and technology officers are, to company culture. And the way whatever transformation plans, whatever great plans you have going on, if they don't work with the company culture, they just spin their wheels. And uh, that seems to be very much a kind of a, a bottom line of something that has always been important to you. I know we've talked about that before. And company culture is one of those things that's a little hard to put your finger on, but it ends up being the way that people are working together and, you know, how that how you're sunbeltizing your message to them, I guess. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, JP. It was really great to have a chance to talk to you about all these different initiatives. And uh, we really enjoyed having you with us here on the show. Thanks so much. Thank you, Mary Fran. And uh, appreciate the opportunity as always. Be well. Stay safe. All right, Grand, you too. And if you joined us late today, do not despair. You can watch the full episode later today here on LinkedIn, but it will also be showing up on CIO.com and on the IDG Tech Talk channel on YouTube. CIO Leadership Live is also available as an audio podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with J.P. Saney of Sunbelt Rentals as much as I did and that you'll join me for our next episode of CIO Leadership Live, which will be two weeks from now on Monday, October 25th. It'll be at the same time at noon Eastern, and I'll be joined by John Wilson, who is the Chief Information and Security Officer at MITRE Corporation. Thanks again for taking the time to be with us today, and please do take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel, IDG Tech Talk, where you can find the 75-plus previous episodes of CIO Leadership Live. I keep encouraging all our followers to go ahead and binge on CIO Leadership Live shows. I don't know if many of you are doing that, but if that ends up being a trend, we'd be delighted to see it. Thanks so much for staying with us today. Stay well, and we will see you here again next time. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.